I know. And I only started doing it like halfway through last year. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize all the people could hear it. And I thought right. it was just notifying me. And then someone yeah. notified, it was like, oh, you know, there's a little bit. I was like, oh, I thought it was like a treat on my end. <laughs> the machines are taking over. Today, the, the weather is tragic today. Oh, it is. It's grim. I mean, it's great. It's my kind of weather. But at the same time, going outside might be a little, a little too much. Yeah. A little too much. I'm terrible at introducing guests. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Kate. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. I'm Kate and I'm bloody marvellous. I. That's a horrific way to introduce That's them. a great introduction. <laughs> that's the best introduction I've had in a while. Yeah. Well, there we are then. Yeah. That, that's me in a nutshell. Now, I'm a predominantly, I am a writer. Um, I've written for Vice, 14 Times, Haunted Magazine. I'm a copywriter. I run the website burialsandbeyond.com. Um, and I kind of write about ghosts for a living. And I've just finished a PhD in 19th century Gothic, which is looking at spiritualism in the Gothic. So it's all proper cheery stuff. That's a hell of a resume, though. Thank you. And welcome to the show, by the way. I do realise I, I didn't introduce and say welcome to the Yelling at Concrete podcast. If anybody listening knows that this is Yelling at Concrete podcast, because why else would you listen to it? <laughs> well, thank you yeah. for having me anyway. That, that's a lot. Of, like, that's a lot. You must have been doing this a while. Like, you must have been writing yeah. for a long while to, like, to go through full scope of phd and everything like that you've been studying yeah. this for i don't know how long does phd take like a decade or so like... no it's been four <laughs> feels like it it yeah, really feels like, like it. it yeah it's coming up for four years now oh yes yeah Just... four years but i'm done i'm done it's, done. it's out of my hair now no more. no more education not a cat enough, at least for another six months did you enjoy education i don't know i don't know if i ever did it's just something that I fell into and I'm I've always been I've always had my obsessions hmm. and um since being little so if if there was ever you know a tv show or a film that I liked I had to know everything about it I had to go a bit further than than most rightly or wrongly and I think that's always gone through with with any interest like when I was a kid I was really into Robin Hood okay because you know my family were from Nottingham and obviously my my granddad brought me up believing that I was related to the Robin Hood. So <laughs> after that, I, I, you know, I watched um, all the Robin of Sherwood and then all the Richard Green ones that I tracked down. And then I got obsessed with the ballads as a child reading these really dense, like 17th and 18th century ballads. Yeah. And then I kind of exhausted it, retained it and went on to the next thing. And I think that's kind of how education's been with me. You just keep going and consuming and, and Yeah. I always wanted to get a degree. Yeah. And then I took a few years out to be a carer for a family member. And then to kind of release me back into the wild, a kind of like reintroduction to to reality program. I did a master's. And then yeah, I just sort of stuck on. I don't remember applying for my PhD. But And yet you have done. a PhD. So something happened. Along the just line. somewhere in the, the vague mist between masters and did you just keep doing your masters and then one yeah. day it's like oh you've been here you know a while now I guess yeah. we could just she, give you your she's, not getting, she's yeah. not getting a hint yeah 
we gave her a masters, but she just kept turning up. And yeah. I, I don't really know what to do. Yeah, it's not really lonely. So I just kept turning up just class. No, I, th- I think it's interesting because I, I think I speak to a lot of people and there's a love-hate relationship with academia. Mm. And when someone's gone as far as kind of like getting to a PhD, I think you either, you either have to be your kind of personality where you want to know everything, you want to write it down, you want to get really detail-orientated, otherwise you will just resent it and get to the end. Yeah, I, I think with with PhD approaches, mm. say this, this kind of, you can be one of two routes and it's the people that combine two that do really well in academia. Sadly, that's not me, I don't think. But it's that the people that are really taken with their topic, mm. but the people that, but also the people that really thrive within academic structures, within kind of the hierarchy and the teaching and knowing, like uh, networking, because yeah. networking in academia is something that just goes against everything that's, that's natural to me which makes me sound horrific and standoffish. No, I think that's a perfectly good point because I think that's this is one of the things I always say to people, like one of the main problems with any industry is like gatekeeping and that whole idea of, you know, you have to network, you have to get to know people, but people who are really passionate suck at networking (laughs) (laughs) because you've spent your entire life focused on one thing. You're not going to be like a kind of person who can just walk up to anybody and say, oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, I do this. Yeah, yeah. I I can't suck up to the ideal professor. I can't go and schmooze and take them out for drinks. But let me tell you about my top five ectoplasm experiences. You know, it's like, I'm good at the end of the night of a party. Yeah. For anything else. I was going to say there's a great example of this, that we literally stood in the same room as each other and my brain didn't even think I should probably just go ask if that's the person I'm having on the podcast in a few yeah. weeks because my brain was just like no I'm just here <laughs> just chill <laughs> well, that's out. fine I mean that that was at the um Melody's art yeah. exhibition uh, and Mills. there was just me in in the corner just slowly drinking rosé out of a paper cup going oh this is nice I'm a bit hot should take my coat off mm. nah yeah. so that really does say everything I was slowly yeah. baking and drinking everyone's supply of wine in mm. silence. Show <laughs> <laughs> 20 introverts in a room and just yeah. see what happens and nothing happens, shockingly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until everyone's gotten past their the level of, you know, social lubricant and booze. Nothing, nothing just occurs. Yeah. And then we, come, we bring people on podcasts and it seems fine. It seems natural. Exactly. It's the, it's, this is the universal networking science. Hands around the world via podcast. One one voice at a time. We'll gradually introduce everybody to everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll run out of people and have to go into hospitals with microphones and just yeah. start them early. Get you <laughs> get you on screen and, yeah. and go through. Um, I guess kind of a good question then would be uh, why nineteenth century Gothic literature. Um, well, I always liked uh, Victorian literature, mm-hmm. and I think like every cliche, I kind of I love Dracula. Uh, Frankenstein, a lot of kind of proto-horror things growing up. Mm-hmm. And then kind of got really interested in social movements and and things like that. And, you know, who doesn't love kind of like a Kate Bush novel? Like, that's essentially what Gothic is. It's women being a bit pathetic, running around castles and beautiful buildings 
you know, thinking there's a ghost, but oh, this clever gentleman who will save them by a marriage reveals that it's uh, it's actually, you know, a bloke in a sheet or just the mind. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. And then with my my interest in kind of the soup, the supernatural, the um, paranormal, things like that, when I started looking into spiritualism, which is, do you want to know about ghosts? Do you want to know about Victorian ghosts? Here's a whole social movement, a whole religious movement based around ghosts. And that was just like, brilliant. How do we write about that? And that's how I kind of got that very super niche mm-hmm. PhD topic. There's all topics have to be there, like razor, yeah. razor sharp. But um, I find it quite interesting how if we ever see like a, a medium on in books on telly on film really they kind of fit to molds they're either very young and beautiful and live women mm-hmm. or they're quite rotund older women there doesn't really seem to be much middle in ground between. yeah and i sort of found it interesting that if you trace those back you can find these tropes that were really settled in victorian literature that they laid roots there but they can be traced back to actual women who live these experiences. So when you're looking at really beautiful young mediums, what we see today is just, this is just a trope. Mm-hmm. We don't really know where it comes from. You trace it back through Gothic literature, Victorian literature, how women were described. And you get to people like Florence Cook, Cora Scott, you know, these, these very young, beautiful Victorian mediums yeah. who were celebrated because of their, their piety, their, the kind of virginal yeah. appearance and then also with the the larger women there are people like uh, mrs guppy who's one of my favorite mediums of all time a horrific woman but she was she was talked about as much for her size and her appearance right. as she was for her like amazing claims and i think when you start getting this kind of you know when you see mad people on mm-hmm. films and they're putting red string between all of these these points that interlink yeah, I think that's when you start getting that between books and real people in the 19th century. That's when you kind of get obsessed and you get this really strange, like world within a world revealed to you. Yeah, you start so, to see the layers and start yeah. to track back. It does get a little conspiracy theory esque. I think when you dive into anything like that, oh, and yeah. a few times of just various concepts, I'll start on on one topic and I'll go, okay, cool, we're going to look at this, and then unpack it a little bit you know hang on a minute now yeah. there's like four things i need to look at and yeah. there's another layer and it goes back and back but it's interesting that you mentioned kind of like the idea that there needs to be an extreme between mediums of either you know young attractive what have you and then you know kind of rotund and older mm-hmm. and that idea that that still essentially just exists nowadays yeah. in terms of media personalities you can't be an average looking person you have to have a style or you have to have another style. Yeah. And that just doesn't dissipate. Yeah, I think I think as well, when, when you notice things like that, you start consuming media differently. Because then oh, you start definitely. looking for those familiar pointers. And then you realise, oh God, we are so uninventive. <laughs> you know, there's there's no like average looking medium on a TV show. It's like, oh, this haggard old circular crone trundles through the door. But like, oh brilliant. Okay. Hello, Mrs. Guppy. Do like, you do you want an average looking medium though? I I do. I want a really <laughs> boring, disinterested, rubbish medium. 
to so just turn up on a TV show and just go, nah, I'm getting nothing, mate. Take my feet and go home. I would love that. But instead, it's all like, oh, I'm Madame. Uh, quickly look for something on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Madame Nasher. I've got a Beano bookmark, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Now I'm going to contact the dead and all this ectoplasm comes out of their mouth, you know. Yeah. Like, just be boring and normal. I know a few people that, that are professional mediums mm-hmm. and um, they don't do half the exciting stuff you see on telly. They'll just bring back a couple of messages and then go home for their tea. It's very disappointing. Like I'd be undersold. Like, I don't know. I feel like almost like I'm not getting my money's worth if, you know, whatever I'm experiencing isn't theatrical in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, but they should include that in other things. Like you should go to see an accountant at a bank and there shouldn't be average people at a bank. You should have someone extremely dramatic. Like Victorian bankers yeah. were ridiculous. Mm. And I want that in everyday life. I don't want to yeah. go see Jim at the bank. I want to go I see love the, a, like... Valentine and his yeah. <laughs> like huge romantic office. <laughs> oh, please. I'd love a decadent yeah. accountant. That would make everything so much nicer. Like, have you done your taxes? No, Valentine, but I can show you through dance and then it'll, it'll be beautiful. It would take the sting out of it when they tell yeah. you you can't have money. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you're overdrawn, but you said it in such a way that it made it seem dramatic. Yeah, so, yeah, we've made a connection. Okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. No, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, we just need to swap things. All supernatural needs to go into standard life. Yeah. And all standard life needs to go into the, the cult. Yeah. That I'm on board. Work. Yeah. Could do that. I could make that work. Yeah. I did. I had a gander because I was. I mean, I know some gothic literature, and I know kind of like I know the staples, like Dracula, mm-hmm. Mary Shelley, and bits mm-hmm. and bobs like that. And I was kind of. I did a classic Google of facts about gothic literature, and it told <laughs> yeah. me that there was a few tropes which had to be included. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious if you agree. So okay. you already mentioned that that needs to be a wailing woman of some sort. Generally. Generally. The, the um, are female-led gothic heroine. Uh, a castle. Yeah, manor. well, first ones were castles. Oh my God. Yeah. You, you have a castle. Uh, I, I thought I had one within <laughs> grabbing space, but I don't know. Yeah, like the castle of a, a, a Tranto, yeah. Yeah. Early I mean, Gothic, that, yeah. Needs to be in some sort of desolate space. Ideally. Crumbling domestic space. Oh, okay. ideal. So you could do this in a council estate, I feel like. Oh, yeah. yeah. Council estate Gothic. With one flat. Just nothing else, just a singular. Oh, really like an old tenement. And yeah. There's only one person inhabiting. Perfection. Nothing else around. Yeah. Most of northern northern England, just yeah. yeah. And, and then something which deals with mental health, but doesn't specifically say it's about mental health. Mm-hmm. And that was the final fact, and I was like, yeah, I thought yeah. all of these ring true. Yeah, I'd say the the mental health thing. I think that's kind of that's something that's more recent. I'd say before that, it would be the the explained supernatural. Mm-hmm. because a lot of the kind of ideas of like you know the hysteria myth and the weakness of a woman's brain feeds into a lot of early female-led gothic and then mm-hmm. when we get into kind of late 19th century and into the 20th century that's when we seem to get more direct mental health links being made like um there's a very small book called the yellow the yellow wallpaper by charlotte perkins gilman it's, it's more of a novella it's a tiny tiny book but that is fantastic and I think if you want to see like a gothic in the most tightest little microcosm it's in that book which is um 
a woman whose husband basically just locks her in a room believing in this like the rest cure that if she was to stay in this room do nothing let her brain rest because she was a woman she will she'll get better but she starts seeing things in the wallpaper and seeing people moving about behind the wallpaper and kind of slowly descends into this obsession with the yellow wallpaper and she's found kind of crawling around the room trying to free the people from behind the wallpaper and that I think is is brilliant because it's a crumbling domestic space so mm. she's isolated she's uh, a woman not in the best physical health and on her own and then there's the is it supernatural is it mental health related at the end it's perfection I think you can get it online for like for free probably so it's worth a read that's my Christmas reading recommendation <laughs> very festive i mean that is worth playing out this this will go out in january right now we're in in uh early december oh new year's recommendation start the year as you mean to go on yeah you, you get that in a january sale somewhere yeah yeah, yeah. treat yourself definitely work I, I think that's a kind of a nice like little segue point though the the idea of um just kind of things going from supernatural to writers then trying to make them less supernatural and more physical traits and characters and Mm. and mental health traits and that really kind of becoming a thing especially during like the 70s like there was a real drop off of we have oh there's everything's magic and everything's you know horror to there's reasons and people are the reasons and they're always the reasons yeah I, I, i don't know if i don't really know which i prefer in the end yeah i think with with the 70s you're right we do get a a drop off in this is definitely a ghost and we get more kind of you know what's going on in usually still a woman but a young girl isn't it it's like what's going on in little mandy's mind but we also get like an added religious hysteria i think in like 70s pulp that comes from uh, a lot of american influence so i think i like it when there's a good possession in 70s pulp fiction you know when we're looking at books like uh oh it's a brilliant book called ruby okay. it was also a film that it sounds familiar the com- complete exorcist ripoff i think it was like the year after the exorcist came out and um oh it's got the most amazing tagline it was like bathed in blood born in sin now she's sweet 16 let the party begin that's a great tagline yeah, and it's there was this whole little subgenre within a subgenre of right. young women coming of age, and then just killing everything via <laughs> via like telepathy and these weird pseudo religious powers that come yeah. in, or lots of girls that were deaf mute, and then suddenly they're you know sixteen and. They can kill the sick, but also suddenly now they're bleeding from their eyes and killing the family. Yeah, if you're missing kind of sight, sound, speech in a film, there's a fair chance something's going to happen to you. I don't feel like yeah. you you can't really get left alone no. at this point. No, definitely not. Keep an eye on them. <laughs> definitely keep an eye on them. If a young priest takes an interest in them, move away. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do you move away or do you befriend them? Because it's usually either they're the saviour or they're the, the demon and going to be possessed. So, yeah, or your young nubile girl being inherently sinful um, yeah. could tempt the priest away 
from his vows. Yeah. As in, I'm trying to remember really dodgy books I've read now. The Piercing, it's a book called The Piercing, um, and The Case Against Satan by Ray Russell. They're both very good 70s paperbacks about priests being led astray by girls. The main one I can think of with a priest being led astray is from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And that scene where he does a whole overly dramatic scene in front of the fireplace, pining over the, the, the gypsy woman. And it's basically just him thinking he's been corrupted, mm-hmm. but it's just because he's horny. And you're like, oh. Hey, what? There's your thesis. <laughs> you're not corrupted, you're just horny. That's, hey, what? That's, that's the title of the podcast. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, sorted. Yeah. But that, that, is, that is clergy in 18th and 19th century literature throughout the whole thing. Yeah. It's what women are sinful. No, put your pants back on and take a cold shower. That's it. There's such an inherent fear, and it's, it's, it's sad, like, to, especially when I think of it back now and you think of kind of women coming of age and the whole idea of like bodily changes and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And the amount of amount of horrors which have used that as their key plot point. Yeah. And you're like, that's so sad that there was a whole period of time where that was a thing. Mm. And now when you look at cinema, obviously they try to avoid it, but It'll still fall around. into the same traps. Yeah. Like it's always young teens and someone does something wrong or someone's not dealing with something well and it just kind of collapses back on itself. Yeah. I, I suppose with, with young teens, it's because we're all a bit suspicious of them because they're they're kind of rightfully so they're terrible oh, rightfully so i wouldn't trust one as far as i could chuck it but group of yeah. teenagers on a bus is that is the most terrifying thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like public transport fears right there i hate it, hate it, hate it. man with a chainsaw cool i'll go that way i sit next to him <laughs> teens on a bus no <laughs> not in your life not happening <laughs> but I, I suppose because we can kind of project a lot more onto them and we see them as quite teen oh, it's going to sound so pathetic. teenagers can be like a liminal space yeah. so they're neither they're not anchored anywhere so we think they can be really easily moved to either end of, of the spectrum of you know good and evil yeah. so i think that they'll always be a bit a bit out of control so even if we're just talking about bodily changes like yeah the obvious one carry yeah carry yeah. carries always yeah 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 I, I think I'm just, i don't know why but in my head i've got the main like main pieces in my head where i'm trying to think scenes in films and books which have basically just been related to periods and all i can think of is the scene in the shining where the elevator doors open yeah and that's that's like i can't remember the exact allegory because obviously there isn't a teenage girl in the film for the no. shining at least um but yeah there's a whole thing of that just, yeah it's kind of still can be kind of the corruptive yeah. power of blood um, there was a, God, it was a, a manga, a really short manga series. I think I, I must have read it when I was about 16 or 17, maybe, called Evil's Return. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't recommend it. It's probably long out of print, and quite rightly so, because it was awful. But I've kept it because no one ever believes that it exists. Right. And so it's, it's, it's horrifically exploitative. The, it was in a set in a high school. The girls are drawn exactly as you'd imagine. Mm-hmm. And it follows the story of this one girl who starts her period 
and it it is like the the hotel doors opening on the shining it is horrific it's like alien meets the shining but in beautifully drawn you know and they made a a six-part series about this and this girl's period kind of opened like a portal to hell and so all these demons start coming in and trying to kill everyone in the school and in japan and she's just there being a bit bouncy and pathetic and covered in blood going oh no oh no what's happened around me yeah (laughs) oh no and my top's popped open as well what do i do with all of these demons but yeah that was a a, i think a six-parter i mean you've got to have some talent to get six parts out of that like even whether it's good or bad there's it's impressive you're like you made a meal out of that like that was you you know you had one thing to say and you said it over six parts of a book yeah (laughs) but they said it in like chapter one of book one and then just rinsed (laughs) it for the rest i can't i cannot tell you the storyline but i i've just who who needs to know i'm not sure there was one i think it was just that scene and then five more books of stunned silence i mean that's basically you know, culture nowadays, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have one scene and then you pad it out for a few seasons yeah. and then you end on a disappointing end. That's yeah. That's media. That's, exactly. That's how we roll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am kind of curious then, um, because I, I find it interesting having yourself on compared to um, other guests who have had on, because I've discussed ghosts before, mm-hmm. shockingly, but in a less serious tone. Okay mainly because it was with my friend Jack and he couldn't think of a topic. So we thought of ghosts on the fly. And then we looked up some, some of the world famous ghosts. Okay. You know, and, and that was quite an interesting yeah. ride. But we were both fairly on, well, he's fairly on the fence in terms of what he believes in supernatural mm-hmm. world. And uh, whereas I'm fairly in the land of not believing uh-huh. anything supernatural. Um, and then fairly recently I had, oh, that's going to kill me that I can't remember the name had an artist on i'll go with an artist <laughs> um romina i think romina martinez there we go um who does a lot of religious iconography art, art. and she uses um she's she sees it as reclaiming the iconography of religion for herself and mm. her beliefs and uh, uses the mother mary a lot and believes that she gets messages from god about creating her art and that's something she heavily invests in, in her art so i'm curious at what level of supernatural spectrum are you on i i say i'm a skeptical believer okay because i i do do uh paranormal investigations i do go out on ghost hunts and all of that business so i i get just as much from an investigation where i believe that nothing's happening or things are happening and you're able to debunk them mm-hmm. as much as i if something happens and I can't explain it, it's still the same amount of thrill. But I am, I do believe in in spirits and I'm not sure what they are, but I, I certainly believe that there's something residual. Um, but that's kind of based on what I've, this can kind of go two ways. I I believe that I saw a ghost on multiple occasions when I was a child. Okay. Uh, when I was 12. Um, and that has kind of been something that I've been chasing ever since to kind of 
and not so much replicate it, but just try and find anything out about it, try and get some answers in a way. And I, I haven't had them, but no. I just keep going, I suppose. But I, I'm fascinated about the history of hauntings, how stories like that take root. But yeah. then also when you're on a ghost hunt, you know, just how people interact, what people, you know, if you've, if you've got like a, a spirit box um, playing and it just cycles through like radio waves really quickly. Um, there's a really popular uh, experiment at the minute called the uh, Estes method, where you put on um, noise cancelling headphones, a blindfold, and you have a like an SB7 spirit box or like a radio hack that you can hear, only you can hear. And it just sounds like, you know, but every now and again, little words will come through. Now, they, it's cycling through radio waves backwards, but it's cycling through them. And the general belief is that spirits, if they have the inclination or power being made of energy, can manipulate these radio waves and give messages. And I find this really interesting because the person who's listening to this shouts out the words they hear. Um, and someone else on the team poses questions to the person that sat in this kind of sensory deprivation state. And then in theory, maybe you can find a conversation, but there's less chance of any kind of external influence on either party. Okay. And that, that I think is something that would interest pretty much anyone who's a non-believer in the paranormal, but finds it interesting. Yeah. I think that's a really kind of like good space that I'm in at the minute that I enjoy these sort of experiments just seeing what the outcome is it's like playing with a chemistry set yeah you know except the worst thing that can happen is nothing happens instead of you know, blowing your hand off so, well it's a yeah. very long-winded way of saying mm, skeptical believer no I think, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's a good explanation I think because I mean like my interest in paranormal anything is, is it, it runs quite deep you know I, I saw x-files as a kid and then i had a english teacher who my parents basically say is completely responsible for corrupting me yeah. because he handed me a um, a book which was on magic mm -hmm. and was like yeah you you seem like the kind of person would be interested in this and from that point on everything i did was more down the gothic line and, mm -hmm. and got into reading about satanism and everything else on top of that and I think it's it's kind of like a nice little balance of saying, you know, there's a passion of being interested in curiosity of all, yeah. you know, rather than just saying, oh, well, you know, I, I'm 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 I might think they exist, or that you know, I'm, I'm willing to believe, but willing to be invested in the idea of it, mm. slightly past that. I think it is, yeah, it's a solid explanation. It is is human experimentation at, at that point. It if is you, if you're strapping someone into something and. <laughs> It is. It looks horrific. It looks like something out of a horror film. In the way you described it, I was like, this sounds like it sounds like something I do as an art installation. Yeah. And it, it looks like an art installation. It really does. It I mean, I've I've done a few recently over the last last month. Hmm. We've had um we had one in a disused church with permission, I may add. And um we had like all red lights fixed on the person who was sat up where the altar would have been yeah and it looked amazing it's like why is this not in a horror film yet i'm sure it will be because it just looks so striking but that that's the thing it's like even if you're not getting any coherent answers you all get yeah. to sit around going 
God, that looks cool. You know, so at least you get that from it. We're adding dramatic scenes to our lives. Yeah. And making, yeah, making, I mean, I think I've, I've literally done an art installation like that, which was, it was like a 20 minute film mm-hmm. and it was colors on a screen mm-hmm. and they gradually transitioned from one to another. And there was a soundtrack which you put on and you had to have it at full volume. No one else was in the room. It was just you and the screen. And yeah. then the intervals within it, it went from being very calm and very serene to basically screaming at you. And I filmed people and their reaction to it. Oh, and wow. Whether, whether very they, clockwork orangey. Yeah, it, it was along those lines of, of trying to get along, like trying to push in. And it was called Sensory Deprivation. It's on YouTube. Um, and I don't even own it anymore because someone else stole it and has like a million views on it. Um, but you, you can oh, basically sit and just watch it. And it, it's mm-hmm. just this long thing. And the whole idea was this that you're taken out of your comfort zone. But then once you experienced it once, you should expect it again in the rest of the video. watching people's behavior change between the first time it happens and the second time it happens and then the third time or whether someone would sit through it all knowing that it was going to happen over and over again um but yeah it it was a long yeah it was like like dystopian punishment torments (laughs) someone and yet you're doing it for fun yeah (laughs) how how long would people sit how long was this installation then how long was each so i did it during uni and i got 20 people through it Mm-hmm. and about 80% would sit there for the whole thing. All right. How long was the, the whole thing? About 20 minutes. But, oh, about 20 minutes, sorry. Yeah, so, they, so they'd be in the room for 20 minutes okay. on their own, and they'd, they'd sit and they'd watch, and, and I think, I, I yeah, other people walked out, um, yeah. and that was mainly due to them uh, having sensitive hearing. And yeah. I, think, I think the comment I got from a tutor was, it was kind of expected. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, that's kind of the point. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, okay there. yeah it, it does sound kind of similar then as I th- when we did um i think it's the session before last um there was a, a group of us mainly older people and myself and my other female friend managed to we did 15 minutes mm-hmm. and it is just but again suddenly you'll get a like a loud shout or like a really big peak yeah. And you you don't know when it's coming, and when you're somewhere really creepy, and it's dark, and you think there might be someone behind you, then you know it gets a bit yeah. tricky. But there was a um, someone with us who was trying to make a little film of things, and he managed thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. And it it was just too much. Mm. I think that's it's kind of like Guantanamo Bay, but make it fun. <laughs> kind of what we're doing. <laughs> And I don't blame him. I don't blame him because it is overwhelming. But yeah. I don't quite prepared for just how disconcerting it can be to, like you say, have everything yeah. taken away and refocused. I think that's why when I when I did it, I, I put people in a room on their own mm. to give them a level of security. Because personally, I'm, I'm claustrophobic, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't trap myself in a space with other people around me when I can't hear or see anything because yeah. that would terrify me. Yeah. Um, so I give them a room to their own, but yeah, being in a, in a, in a room full of people and then put like, select like VR. I'm not going to do VR. Same. Yeah. Not I don't trust people enough for that. <laughs> no, someone will slap me while yeah. I'm doing that. <laughs> someone will slap me or I will run into a wall. Like okay. something will happen in the headset. I will try to get away from it yeah. and I will just face the wall because yeah. that's natural. That's the way to do it. Um, 
I'm just trying to think. I mean, one of the things which I kind of my pet peeves of kind of seeing um, kind of paranormal investigation stuff mm-hmm. is is the quality of the footage which comes from those projects. Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, like TV paranormal, or just anything. Like you, you see people kind of go and do things and explore things, and like you say, that you've got these amazing setups. Yeah, and these amazing things, and then you you someone shows you it, and it's just like they've shot it on like a handheld or a phone yeah it's... You, had, you had such an opportunity to make something so dramatic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's more there's more teams mm. that um i hate saying teams it makes it just sound it it's, it's like i'm trying to pathologize yeah just like i'm trying to make something sound really professional when it's a lot of people in fleeces running around in the dark there is nothing cool <laughs> or organized about this you know there's there's, a, there's more teams that do these things for like for fun and for personal research mm-hmm. than do for like making little Facebook stars of themselves. But it's the Facebook stars that you see most common. It's the same with anything, you know. It's whoever shouts the loudest. But yeah, the the amount of footage I've seen that is, oh my god, did you see that ghost walk in the background? Yeah. It's like you're filming near a main road. That that's literally someone walking to the shops. Yeah, it really just mundane, dull, dull footage, or people table tipping where you can see that someone's just booting one of the legs from beneath it. <laughs> but I mean, I, it, I'm appreciative yeah. of someone who can pull it off. Like, I mean, someone who can pull off a hoax. I oh, think yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something in that. I, I almost prefer that. Mm. Like, than, than meeting a ghost or anything like that. I'd prefer the idea that someone put an elaborate hoax together that could trick a room full of people. Yeah. I'd be like, that's impressive. That's, exactly. you know. And that's where the obsession with spiritualism came from. Mm-hmm. You see, it all links in. It all links in. Do you want to see a ghost? Yes. Do you mind if it's made of paper mache and appears through a wall? Like, get that ghost here now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> all the better. I don't want yeah. some ethereal being. I want no. a puppet. I want a puppet and a flying tambourine. Hook me up now. That's my next four years dealt with. <laughs> if, if more ghost hunting teams did that, you know, that would make for some fantastic late night TV. I'm surprised there's not more of that. Is it... No, I'm pushing for it. But just no one wants to hire me to choke up a bit of cheesecloth on telly, you know, and say I'm channeling the undead. But I keep trying right i mean escape rooms are a thing nowadays right yeah and yeah. that's suspended disbelief of being trapped and whatnot. yeah that's just torture exactly yeah. that's what you should, that's what we should be doing you shouldn't be doing escape rooms you should be doing ghost rooms that'll be good there you go yeah, there's, the, there's the money making idea that is, it's going 50 50 50 50 yeah yeah <laughs> I'll film it. You, you, you can yeah, bring, I'll the bring the ghosts. Yeah, <laughs> you bring the ghosts. I'll, I'll stand back and yeah, yeah. provide emotional support of people we scar running through this Guantanamo esque. Yeah. yeah, I'll sort out <laughs> the insurance as well. While it. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I can't be trusted with things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll never get that from the bank because there'll be 20 minutes of theatrics which we have to go through. So Exactly. Bloody Valentine. I know. That's, that's <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> there's, a, oh, there's a film which I watched fairly recently and i can't think for the life of me which what it what it is but it includes a, a ghost hunter who's quite mundane mm-hmm. and it, i think i think it's set in like new zealand or somewhere like that 
and she's she, like her dad was a ghost hunter mm-hmm. and then her dad dies and she kind of gets the gift to like be able to talk to talk mm-hmm. to the dead and it's it's a comedy um but it's it, it kind of touches on that whole idea of just you have ghosts and they're not always dramatic sometimes yeah. they're just just average ghosts average people doing their own thing yeah and i think that there needs to be, we need to bring more of that in exactly not everything has to be you know a vengeful queen like what if you know hampton court palace mm-hmm. if you went there people would say oh you know you'll have jane seymour you know Anne Boleyn running down the corridor screaming what about a scullery maid sat in the corner just picking her fingernails yeah that's just as likely i could see it. slightly less of a tourist draw but well do you think we'd get bored if they were everywhere as a society, if ghosts were just standard, you could see them all the time, and you know it was just average people. I mean, we're an old country. Wasn't there a Doctor Who episode? I don't know. Oh, no. I, I haven't watched Doctor Who in years. I, th- wait, this is like oh, this way going back Doctor Who. Oh, it's not like what would make me cool. It's no like David Tennant's like. I, was like, I don't feel like modern Doctor Who makes you cool. <laughs> oh, does it not? Okay. As much as older Doctor Who makes you. I cool think I've, I've watched about three series of Doctor Who when they brought it back, and then just. I, I stopped watching. Discovered Alco Pops. <laughs> yeah, they got rid of Eggleston, and my brain just went. Ah, I don't care anymore. Yeah, I, I stuck around till the end of Tennant. Okay. Just... Lasted a little longer then. Yeah. yeah. I, I had to bow out after Eggleston because I was like, he's cool, he's edgy, and he's angry. He was good. He that's was what good. we want. Yeah. And then they brought David Tennant, and I was like. Ah. See, I like David Tennant because he was in um, so how my head works with all of those red strings. Okay. With them, um, he was in the first episode of the reboot of Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, okay. which I believe is the finest TV show ever made. Oh. No one agrees with me. Bold claim. Not even anyone who made the show <laughs> believe agrees with me. But um, he was in the first episode of that, playing like a spoof of um, Damien Hurst, who's like a dramatic artist. And because of that link, it was like, yes, Tennant, you have my blessing. I will watch your series now. <laughs> That's a good point, though. It's like a kind of like a, not like a final point, but I feel like the UK is fairly unique in how we approach ghosts and the mm. paranormal and everything like that, it, because we have a long, long history of it. But it's never like, I don't know what the way to put it, polished. It's yeah. never polished. Whenever we do it, it's always, you know, a little cloak and dagger, a little duct tape and, you know, camcorders on shoulders and stuff like that. Whereas when I think of like the US, mm. it gets very fancy and there's like oh, auditoriums and you get, you know, huge shows or everything like that. Whereas we're just like, nah, you know, yeah, even like yeah. our TV shows, we do, we've got Doctor Who, they've got the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, but I think there's, one of the most charming things about sort of British paranormal it's a culture because it is a whole sort of culture yeah definitely it's so blue peter oh it's definitely it's so you know I made this at home you know I've done Ouija boards where we use an upturned shot glass you know and I I think that is just what have you got let's put it together and so you know and that's nice that it's kind of do-it-yourself ghost bothering I don't know if we're, we're too cynical as like a cult, like a nation to embrace it properly, to manufacture something about yeah. it. I don't know if we're, we're just like, we're okay, we, we, we like we like mythos. 
we like legends yeah. and we like the imagination of it all yeah but when it comes to it yeah we're coal miners and yeah. bankers <laughs> and we're like yeah i haven't really got time for it to invest my life yeah. to it exactly so, yeah, yeah but if it's if it's a ghost put it put it in its place with king arthur yeah anything else and we've got something better to be doing yeah get down the chip shop get yourself a proper job <laughs> and yeah other cultures like i think like, like um kind of oh, not not i was gonna say eastern european but that's not right because they, they have a very similar thing but like spanish culture Mm. really in, invests themselves and in the whole like macabre and death day and everything like mm. that they really dive into it and it is it is their their religion it is their their culture but yeah with us it's always just like a side you know we have we have religion and then there's steve who has like a camcorder and a few beers and tells you about the guy who lives in the forest and you're like yeah that seems that, right that should be yeah. yeah i think we've always kind of like i say unlike spanish or like any kind of latin american that's the word. cultures we, um, <laughs> we we don't we're not hands-on with death i think with no. anything that's related to eternity we like everything in its place like the mm-hmm. body goes in the ground we never touch it again the end our men go home whereas other cultures are far more tactile and maybe more um willing to accept like an ongoing interaction with death and the cycle of, of life and death whereas um i think ghosts would fall into that quite quite nicely it would slot into place but i think our very british idea of like eternity and immortality even if we're dealing within the same like religious framework is far more sort of oh we don't talk about that all oh, that's a bit macabre you know we're far more jam and jerusalem than yeah you know venerating ancestors you can't can't discuss things in an open conversation, that would be very un-British. Yeah. It's a bit European, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit European, and then the US is just extremely afraid of it. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, they're always more effusive, though, aren't they? Always more. Yeah, they've got to do things bigger. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're a nice middle ground. Yeah. We're, we're kind of, like, I don't know, like Fisher-Price cult. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're accessible. Yeah. We you are. Know. No sharp edges. Yeah, we're not over the top. Yeah. Just, you know, you can come and, and explore and do things and there's no overtopness to it. But we'll also yeah. not like cram it down your throat and, you know, tell you to fear it in, in yeah. some major way. <laughs> yeah, the sensible footwear of the paranormal world. I mean, yeah, yeah. Not not, not to be the boring country. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. I, I do think it's fascinating. I think, yeah, we we have a weird relationship with death in this country. Yeah, and yeah. in a way, I don't know why. Like, like I have an idea of why. Because mm. as, as a society, we've gradually grown up, and obviously, way back when, things were a lot more prudish, and you didn't talk about anything, and there was a lot of fear with it all. Yeah. But we we get blunter every year, and yet still yeah. with death, we still stand hands off with it. Yeah, I think. Perhaps it's because the whole process of dealing with, even from like palliative care, from like end of life care Mm. through to burial and grief and mourning, things like that. We're all, we're very hands off. So for a lot of people, if they're dying of old age, I think the family would see it as here is our 
loved one in a very sanitized medical environment, mm-hmm. then we don't ever touch them again. So then they go into the hands of professionals and then suddenly they're either you know, cremated or they're, they're in the ground. And there's no, it's like as soon as they've died in a place that's not home, that's when we are hands off and we don't ever have anything to do with them again. I think that might have something to do with it in that we don't commonly, I mean, some do obviously, but even if someone dies at home, our first thought is get them out of the house immediately. I don't want to touch them. There's a dead body in the home rather than I can prepare them for death and burial. Yeah. You know, we, we don't want to, to interact with that and to kind of, I think we've got, for all of the, the changes we've made and for all of the developments that people have with their mindset of, oh, I, I'm fine discussing death. It's like, yeah, but the wider, wider society will still think dwelling on death, dwelling on death rituals, memorialization, working through grief, grief that it's all a bit mawkish mm. and it's all a bit unnecessary. And again, quite un-British yeah. or, or just weird. And I think maybe we're, we are making steps away from that. I think especially in terms of like um, memorial jewellery, making a big comeback, sentimental jewellery, you know, keeping sort of talismans of the deceased, keeping bits of hair, things like that. But I, I think definitely if, if we spent more time caring for the dead, yeah. and maybe we'd feel a bit more comfortable about interacting with dead bodies and not seeing them as this kind of like time bomb. everything would be a lot calmer and demystifying the process of preparing someone for burial you know what your rights are i think so many people just don't have the um the confidence to ask their funeral directors okay what are you doing to the body does this need to be done you know can i do this can i see the body yeah we do tend to compartmentalize Mm. when it comes to a corpse we you know it is very much a point of i think from family members who've passed on um whenever it's been one of those things <clears throat> vividly remember the phrase coming out of people's my my mouths of um i want to remember them how they were when they were alive yeah so i never want to see them you know i'm, I'm not going to go to the open casket or i'm not going to go visit them mm. whilst whilst they're in waiting anything like that and that always fascinated me because in my head i was like well no i in a way i want to see that because that yeah. gives me closure exactly yeah. yeah i think that's how it is for a lot of people it certainly was because i lived with my grandmother for four years i was a carer mm-hmm. and then when she died she died at home i was with her and then afterwards you know after i got the um the district nurses out to kind of clean her off and stuff um it, i could still interact with the body mm-hmm. and it didn't like now when i think of it i don't think of that you know that just if you see someone dead it doesn't remove no. the memories before that that's just a completely separate separate sort of interaction and it yeah. did sort of bookend things as horrible as it is i mean yeah i mean it's it is one of those things that i think once it happens and once you've seen it i think it, it does always mm-hmm. i know i always like the idea of being taxidermied like, yeah well like in psycho yeah just kind of like when chair. i'm gone someone could just have me yeah like, chilling out in the house yeah you could be the new family heirloom. That'd yeah. be quite nice, wouldn't it? Pass me on from generation to generation. You yeah. get Graham. And... Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Gradually gets worse and worse every year. Yeah. Until eventually <laughs> I'm just a head. And, yeah. That's lovely, though. I'd like to be a head on someone's mantelpiece. Yeah. I feel like that's a badge of honour, right? Yeah. 
Like, because I mean, even, as people who have an interest in cult, we likely buy dead things, mm. like own dead things. I own at least a couple of bones within my house. Yeah. I like the idea of someone going to a yard sale, seeing me and me like, I'm off it, Mark. <laughs> that guy. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't matter that's to me. Got, I'm dead. I love a lot of probably far too many dead things in this room. That's it's not healthy. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, it's healthy. It's just dead yeah, things. It, it's a nice thought. It's a nice thought of kind of a, making your own little collection of talismans, your own little web of death related power. Like Post mortem merchandise. That's all it is. Just... I can't make t-shirts anymore. So you can post my merchandise. Yeah. yeah, I'm on board. It's the second idea we've had, and I already love it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can come visit the ghost show yeah. and get that. Exit and then you like it for the gift shop. And previous guests who have died during the show will be available for post mortem mer- merchandise. Brilliant. Tickets. God, available. we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> We're going to be millionaires or we're going to be arrested very quickly. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's an element of risk with these kinds of interests, I, I feel, yeah. is inherent to mention to anybody listening to this, maybe interested in spooky things or anything like that. And the amount of stories I've read of like people who collect human skulls mm-hmm. and then the police coming and questioning them and then going, you know, like, where did you get these skulls? Can we test these skulls? They may be an unsolved murder, which you oh, now happen to own the skull of. <laughs> yeah, that's just a lesson for keep receipts. Always keep receipts. Keep always, again, back to accountancy, keep your receipts so the police won't get you. If you ever find anything in a field, tell someone first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please don't take it home. Just take and it. if you go to a cemetery, it's not a free-for-all. Leave footprints and yeah. <laughs> occasional screams from whatever sensory deprivation thing you've been yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in that experience. Yeah, yeah. Leave only screams yeah. and yeah. Take a, only nightmares. Leave def- the femurs alone. <laughs> there's definitely a poster in that, which <laughs> I'm, I'm crafting, crafting in my, But I feel like that's that's great advice to round this out on as a mm. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it hasn't been too, you know, drastic and uh, uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) it's been lovely to have you with us Kate Uh, do you have anything coming up or going live or whatever Um, I have uh, constant new content on burialsandbeyond.com which is fun light-hearted deathy articles and on my Patreon which is my baby Um, that's I love it I, I go hell for leather on that I update it four times a week that's Wow. articles podcasts videos where i'll like take you out to see weird graves or ghost sightings cryptids anything like that every single week and the last post that went up was a mini documentary and the one before that was my argument that s club seven have always been leaders in the occult so and it's cheap as chips it's quid a month well, quid a month gone. and you support me and exactly. i need it <laughs> So please, please, dear, dear viewer slash listener, come on over at patreon.com slash burials and beyond. In a few months, you'll see a Kickstarter for a ghost show slash gift shop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> please also support that. Oh, definitely. It's been lovely to have you and chat with you. Um, but yeah, on that note, I think we'll round this out. So thank you for coming, Kate. Thank you. We'll talk to these guys later. <laughs>